What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. We just keep trucking along as we're entering late fall, early winter, and putting out these podcast episodes, and it's continuing to be a blast. One of my favorite things to do is just meet a variety of people and get conversations going, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in to this one. This one was a lot of fun, and before I get into an introduction of the guest, I want to remind you, if you have not yet left a rating and a review for this podcast on iTunes, please go do so. It's very, 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 very helpful. And also, you can find out more about what we have going on between episodes at our social media channels. We're on, I think, pretty much every social media outlet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever else there might be. We have a YouTube channel. So there's just a lot of things that are going on. So feel free to check those out. Or you can always go to our website, coldshowerpodcast.com. And then I want to also not forget to mention our sponsors for this episode, Lammy Wellness. They're a loose leaf tea company based out of Traverse City, Michigan, which is the area that I call home. And I will tell you what, we got dumped on with close to 20 inches of snow in a matter of a couple of days, and there is nothing more that I have wanted amidst this snowy haven that we live in than some warm tea. And they have a variety of different flavors that they offer. They make sure to include directions on how best to steep your tea, including the temperature and for how long. And it's just always a guaranteed delicious cup and a warm beverage that I crave so heavily here. So please go take a look at what they have going on and the type of stuff that they are offering at lamiwellness.com. L-A-M-I-E-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com or go to the show notes and I will have linked to it there. Now, this conversation with my guest was a ton of fun. I got videographer Mia Haggerty. And so she is a local videographer here and she recently started her production company called Missing in Action Productions. And her specialty is kind of short docs, nonfiction work, where she takes a few minutes, typically like less than 10, at least from the films that I've seen of hers, and highlights important works or important people and really does a, a great and interesting job of painting who those people are in a relatively short amount of time. So I was just fascinated by her art and her skill and her expertise and her eye. And so we had a awesome conversation where we were just discussing our passions, how we kind of got to where we are currently, and maybe what we hope our future looks like. And she is really is a kindred spirit because we just paralleled a lot of each other's thoughts. And I was so thankful that she took the time to stop by because I got jabbering away. And usually what that means is that the guest is making me feel really comfortable and we just had a lot in common. And so I was talking up a storm and I hope that's okay. I did let her get some words in, but she is really, really fascinating. And also keep your eye out. We may be working on some collaborations here in the future, which I'm very excited about. I would love to just play off of her expertise. And I think that that's what we're going to do. So anyway, without further ado, we'll play the music and then we will listen in to the conversation with Mia Haggerty. (music) 
and we're live. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. I have today with me another special guest, Mia Haggerty, and she is a videographer, a filmmaker, all kinds of stuff, still trying to decide what exactly you are, but a videographer for sure, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is your What is your project um, or your company? Or? Well, I started Mystic in Action Productions a couple months ago formally, but I've been doing freelance videography for a couple of years now. Okay. Yeah. And what do you specialize in? Uh, I primarily specialize in marketing videos is what I started out doing. And then I've been moving more and more into the short doc nonfiction okay. realm. All right. Yeah, I want to talk about the short doc nonfiction realm with you because I'm immensely impressed with the stuff that you do because it, you're kind of like boxing yourself in with the time that you allot for your films. Yeah. So you're not like trying to get the, the viewers uh, an opportunity to know a person or a mission or a project in an hour long documentary. It's crammed together, but you have to figure out how to make it flow. Like what is that whole process like? Yeah. Essentially it's trying to capture a slice of someone's life. So, uh, yeah, a lo something that's been really helpful for me as a creative person has been deadlines, and it's really just made my life a lot easier. And so sometimes I leave, you know, you feel like you're leaving a significant part of a story or a video kind of on the cutting room floor, but at the same time, you have a video, which is more than you'd be able to say if you were trying to figure everything into a I don't know, a five minute piece or even a one hour piece. I mean, you would still feel like you're leaving stuff uh, mm. left unsaid, I guess. So um, lately what I've been trying to do is just push myself to tell a complete thought or complete idea, maybe in a shorter amount of time than usual, but on a deadline um, that makes sure that the video actually gets out into the world. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's pretty cool to say it. And I think that makes a lot of sense is, especially as someone who's involved in creative projects, it's like, Sometimes there's not a difference between if you're writing a blog post or uh, editing a photo or a video or whatever, there's not a difference between the quality that's going to come out if you work on it for eight <laughs> hours or if yeah. it was just one hour. Like there are times where it is like that, but then there's other times where you're actually just making unnecessary tweaks or, or doing things that don't matter in the long run of the project. Is that Right, exactly. I think it's like versions one through four, they're pretty significant changes. If you get out into like the 10, 11, 12 realm, you're really kind of hitting diminishing or just no returns at all at that mm -hmm. point. So yeah, I've definitely noticed that. Or like at the end of editing a video, at the last two hours of tweaking, I probably, the average viewer isn't going to pick up and I might not even see it mm -hmm. a month or two months from now Yeah, uh, once the project's over. So starting to notice that and just being able to, or not being able to, but practicing mm -hmm. stepping away from it uh, has been good. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing, just because I know you on a more personal level now, is there's also the challenge of it's not just lay people that are viewing your videos anymore. You're also rubbing elbows with other videographers and filmmakers. And so you're probably judging yourself even more harshly because they have the eye for what you're concerned about. Yeah. I, well, it's weird because I feel like now that I'm actually doing it and I can, in good conscience, call myself a videographer, because uh, for a while I would say maybe, oh, I really want to be a videographer, but with the amount of videos I'm actually making, I'm probably not one. Um, now that I'm doing it, I actually am a lot less intimidated by 
other people because I'm kind of like that's their style and this is my style and that's the things that they find interesting and this is what I find interesting and it's not the same and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah. I think I actually have gotten less competitive or okay. like less like jealous mm-hmm. of other people's videos, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's actually had the opposite effect, which has been nice. <laughs> right, yeah, so you, you feel like a sense of belonging now that now that you've actually just like jumped into it and started yeah. to do things and you've made your own lane. and. Yeah, I had the most imposter syndrome when I was just looking at all these cool videos mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, those are really cool videos, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really making anything of my own. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that still applies to other things, like other types of art that I probably admire, but haven't really given a fair shot mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what is so unique about and why I have such a huge respect for creative types is because a lot of it, you're creating something that's going to be visible to other people. So you know in the back of your mind that you're going to be judged on it, whether it's somebody coming to your YouTube channel or somebody walking by a painting that you did, whatever it is. But then there's also a huge portion of that project that is just for yourself. And so that's like the driver for me is I always am like, well, this is a conversation that I want to have. I'll just happen to record it. But then you're also concerned about the other people that are going to listen to it and what they think. So Mm -hmm. it's weird. You have to like really appreciate and respect your own voice and opinion, but also like do the same for other people's opinions, but not place too much value on them too. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I think, well, the part where I struggle is if somebody, I don't know. Well, because I'm thinking about it and I haven't really encountered any outright hate or anything Mm -hmm. on my videos yet, but I think that's what I'm most afraid of Mm -hmm. as far as like other people's judgment is concerned. Um, But then when I actually do stop and think about it, I haven't even really faced what I probably could be facing Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, yet at least. So I don't know. That's kind of funny how it's just kind of the idea alone is pretty scary on its own, but yeah. Yeah, some of that just comes with, like, I haven't faced a ton of, like, straight-up negative, you know, energy or comments or opinions based on the work that I'm doing. There's a couple things, like, because my podcast leaves space for people to disagree with whatever we might be talking about, if it's kind of a a sensitive topic, then obviously there's going to be opinions one way or the other. But for the ones that are more just for entertainment value or just a good conversation with a lot of lessons, people are not telling me like that sucked or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of looking forward to when that does happen because you want to like be able to defend your passion and your work too. Yeah, yeah. And I think, well, then you kind of, when you're defending your own ideas, you kind of realize, oh, this is what, this is what I stand for. This is what I wanted my podcast, my video to do. So there's definitely value to that Mm -hmm. for sure. And honestly, one thing that I've noticed is I've started to share my video with more people who I respect kind of view in a like a mentor category type of thing that when people do say my video is good, I actually am kind of disappointed because I want them to tell me specific things that are wrong with it. And I've noticed I actually am, I'm looking for that constructive criticism Mm -hmm. and it's actually not helpful when people just say that they like my video. So I've kind of, yeah, maybe I'm asking for some, (laughs) (laughs) for some, I don't know, not hate, but I don't know. Yeah, just some like something, uh, you know, 
critics or what's it called? Constructive criticism yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Sure. It's funny because we both know Nick Loud and um, I was trying to, so my Instagram, I'm like trying to create an aesthetic and this is coming from someone who has no clue how to take like good <laughs> photographs or anything like that. But I was just trying to get more of like a uniformed look with the types of photos that okay. I'm posting so that when people go to it, like their eyes aren't jumping all over the page. Which also, by the way, I have noticed that you've you been have. Okay. curating something because you've been posting a lot more. Yes. I don't know. How, I mean, I haven't been following you for yeah. a long time, but it just seemed like you were posting a lot more. So yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to post more consistently and it's just a weird, stupid game that we're all playing with our <laughs> social media. But I was like, right. I want it to be a little more uniformed. And I had talked to him about that and I showed it to him one day. I was like, look here, I posted three pictures with all kind of like the same color scheme or whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And then he started scrolling further down to some terrible photos that I had. And he's like, yeah, this, like this one, this one sucks. You got to get rid of that. Like, that's a stupid photo. And I kept, and I laughed and I was like waiting for him to be like, just kidding. And he was like, <laughs> he was dead serious. Oh, and I was damn. like, I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. Well, at least I know where you stand. And it was kind of yeah. funny because I was like, well, that's what I actually want is someone to say that to yeah, me and guide me true. because he's more of an expert in that area. Uh, it was just funny when people actually do. Yeah. Actually, a fun, I don't know, a fun game that um, I played with a videographer, Mark Gothel, I think is his last name. Um, he went onto my Instagram and he scrolled and then he randomly stopped and he was like, what was going on in this post? Mm -hmm. And it was actually a really fun way to like get to know each other because it was the first conversation that we had had. He was like, let's just play this game. Oh, okay. But that probably doesn't work on a podcast. So, well, yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. Um, like. So he's going through, is that how you, he was wanting to get to know you? Yeah. He okay. was like, oh, let me just scroll on your feed randomly, stop. And then he was like, explain mm -hmm. this post yeah. or something. Yeah. That sounds like a, say like a teenage girl's worst nightmare <laughs> to play with their dad or something like that. Yeah. Like, what were you, what were you thinking here? That'd well, be it's so funny because I don't post pictures pictures of myself mm -hmm. ever because I'm behind the camera all the time. And yeah. the one photo he chose was one was one of the only selfies that I've had on mm -hmm. my feed for a while. Yeah. So that was really funny because yeah, I just started like bumbling, kind of like making up some deep thing, but it was just a selfie. So. Oh, yeah. Dude, <laughs> selfies are so funny because it like a couple of years ago, there was that shift like there'd be some old guy who would make fun of his grandkids for posting a selfie or their son or daughter posting a selfie. And now, like, you go on Facebook, and it might be a 65-year-old person, and their profile picture is probably some really ratty selfie that they, like, <laughs> took with their with their computer camera, and it's, like, going up their nose. And it's, like, everybody, I feel like, has done a selfie at one point or another. Yeah. It's not just, like, this embarrassing thing anymore. Which, by the way, what was the camera set up for the Cold Shower podcast? Because it kind of looks like that. Yeah. Not like 65-year-old yeah. man, right. <laughs> just in the sense that it's very yeah. much like yep. in front of the face, like yeah. straight. I know. I I wish I could say like I put a ton of thought into that. It was like this rebranding of I wanted to start, and this is going to sound weird, but it, it's like my business strategy, which is trying to let people know like who's behind this operation. Gotcha. And then I was looking at other prominent podcasters like iTunes art. Is that what you're talking about? My iTunes? Yeah. Like, art? With the yeah. green background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so green, that darker green, that's kind of like my color. I like that color a lot. And then um, I was looking at other podcasters art and I was like, 
you know, there's like some that are perfectly curated and then there's others where they're just super popular podcasts and it looks like they just threw something together. And I wanted to try to find like a middle ground okay. with that. And I didn't want it to be too overwhelming with too many colors and whatever. But if people can like attribute that dark green to what I have going on. And then I wanted my facial expression to convey. And I don't know if it is effectively, but I like raised one eyebrow. Like what is going on? What are we talking about? And that's like what my podcast is. is like we talk about really anything. And so there was like a hundred different things I was trying to convey through that one photo. And um, also I had to show my mustache because that's become part of like what people recognize me for. Um, so yeah, wow. I mean, I don't, I don't know. And if you have any expert advice of what I could or should no, do. No, I mean, I think, I think it does that. I okay. definitely think that photo does that. I mean, if anything, now knowing what emotion you wanted to show, you could even have gone bigger with the facial expression yeah. in my opinion. But I mean, yeah, it's already great as it is. I like the... Um, the extra illustration that's on top of it yeah, yeah. definitely adds to it. So yeah, that took me embarrassingly long to figure out like how to do all that. Like the filter Did you get with in there it with paint and, or <laughs> uh, no, not quite. Um, but whatever the editing software is through Adobe is what okay. I, is what yeah. I used. And there are definitely about a hundred tips and tricks that would have made it like a 10 minute project, but I don't know those tips and tricks. So I was doing things that took a long time, Okay, but it, like I did it all myself. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with Woo. it. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a long process. But yeah. Thanks for asking me about that though. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's asked me and I've gotten actually quite a few people who have said, Hey, I really like the new, the new iTunes podcast art, but nobody's asked me like why I did it. Okay. So gotcha. yeah, I don't know. I'll, uh, I'll ask you a question. So <laughs> missing in action productions is the thing that you started the project. Yeah. Um, that is yours. So other than the acronym matching up with your name, why else missing in action? Well, I had no idea what to call my business. And a lot of people give you the advice of just, you're letting things like business cards and websites and naming stop mm -hmm. you from actually doing what you want to make a living off of. And so um, I just kind of started going back through uh, nicknames or anything like that. And in high school, I had a friend who called me missing in action oh, or okay. missing. And then I realized it's actually an awesome acronym because I want to be traveling all over doing videography. And so it kind of makes sense. Like I'm missing in action. Mm -hmm. Like I'm out there in the field doing interesting things. Yeah. Um, and then it all comes back to, yeah, my production work. So okay. that's kind of what happened there. Yeah. I like, I like that a lot. Even before I realized that it matches up the MIA, um, is that also, I feel like it conveys to me because I've seen your videos that there's like underlying things in each short doc, things that the viewer has to figure out or decide for themselves. And what I mean by that is like the one, what's the recent one that you did that you sent us? What was the name of that one? The um, that was searching for something. And I don't even really know what that is. Yeah, but people get to <laughs> decide for themselves yeah. like what it is. And so, I don't know, missing in action. I don't know what is this video is supposed to mean exactly because you didn't completely spell it out for people. And so I think yeah. we get to give it our own meaning. And I, I like that. I think it's the same cool. thing with like, um, you know, really old paintings or art. Like you go to a museum and you have this expert who is trying to explain to you like what the artist was trying to get at. Mm. And like, sometimes I appreciate that. And then other times I'm like, 
I don't think they had an idea. Yeah. And yeah. I think we're supposed to think what we want about it. Right. Whether right. I like it, don't like it, whether I thought they were happy, sad. I don't know why that person is looking the way that they are in, in the painting. It's like a million things. And I think that's what your, your films do too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah that means a lot. So inception, I'm, I mean, you've watched it, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you know how there was all those debates on message boards about if this top was like spinning or wobbling, if it was going to fall down, if they were in a dream, if they weren't at the very end. Yes. That is like the moment that I strive for in all of my videos. Okay. Like I, I really love that feeling of mysteriousness mm -hmm. at the end that you just kind of, you get pulled somewhere and then before like the rope snaps or you figure out where it's going, it just kind of stops mm -hmm. and then you're on the hook, but you don't really know yeah. what to make of it. So that's kind of, that's really awesome that you're already getting that feeling because I thought it would have to work a lot longer to be able to achieve that feeling. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I think that that's exactly what's happening. And, and then you're giving the viewer the chance to like fill in the gaps. And so those inception yeah. viewers, you can decide, did it stop spinning? Did it keep spinning? Are they leaving room for a sequel? Were they in a dream or <laughs> not? It's like all these different things you can think. And then for that recent one, sorry, I forgot searching for something. Yeah. yeah okay. So for that one, I would almost think that the compass that you had, whatever that yeah, contraption yeah. was in it, is almost like the top. Because I, like you, the compass was found. It was sitting on a log or yeah. something. in the. And you guys have to go watch the video. I'll put it in the show <laughs> notes so that you understand what we're talking about. Um, but I was like, okay, that compass, who did it belong to prior? She's holding it in her hand. It doesn't seem like she even knows where she wants to go. So what is compass going to help with? Right. And I had all these questions about it, and I think that that was, like, the object for me that was kind of like, all right, Taylor, you can decide as the viewer, do you want them to find something, or is that the whole purpose is, like, they're not going to, but you find something on the journey? I don't know. That's yeah. what I thought anyway. Yeah, I mean, the most fun part about that was that I packed up a duffel bag of props. So there, we also brought, like, an easel, flowers, journal, pen, all that stuff, and then ended up just using the compass. Mm -hmm. and then we drove out to Empire Bluffs before the sun rose and then shot for a couple hours and then made up a storyline. And then after the fact, I came up with the title. I came up with the voiceover, everything like that after. Oh, okay. So I kind of, in a weird way, let the, let the footage I was shooting then inform the rest of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it just started with just a spontaneous shoot. Right. So... Yeah, I didn't really have any time to think about stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. yeah. No, that I mean, I think that that's really cool. I find all all that stuff really intriguing. And I want to talk about have you seen Shutter Island? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I struggle with that one more than I struggled with Inception. Okay. Like to me, I've had way more spirited debates about um that one, like whether he was actually um, in the like asylum or right. he should have been, what was the question that everybody always had? <laughs> like, was he actually crazy or did they turn him crazy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always thought that he was like, I'm convinced he actually is a police officer and that they did that, that and to that him. And he went not, insane. Yeah. That yeah. they, they like through the medications, they were the stuff for his headaches. And, um, cause I think when he was there, he was asking for like aspirin or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I thought, I mean, I've watched it a bunch of times. I kind of thought he was a police officer. I don't know. 
Yeah, so not the part where he was a patient the whole time. Yes. But rather, he, he be- did actually come in. Yeah, and like how turn him into one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I swear by that too. You do? Okay. But then my friends made me re-watch certain parts, and they were saying, like, no, he's a patient the whole time. And I was like, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I've gotten pretty worked up about that, but I could totally be incorrect and just, like, I maybe in my head wanted him to have been, like, a good guy trying to solve these crimes yeah. and then wasn't. But he came out with those two, like, mind benders in, like, close to the same year within, the like, a, a couple years, like Inception and then Shutter oh, Island because yeah. it was Leo, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. And they were both, like, back-to-back, and I was pretty blown away by the stuff yeah. he was doing in that stretch. No, that was amazing. Yeah. Those are both really, really good movies. Memento is insane. Yeah, I oh, love it's Memento. It's been so long since I've seen that. I had to look at an, look up an infographic to get okay. that one. Yeah. What is, is that really where... hard. Remind me what that one it's is. It's like two storylines, yeah. and one's moving in forward, and one's moving in reverse. Okay. But then the problem is that there will be – so there, the one moving in forward is, like, storyline A, and then the one moving in reverse is storyline B. And I think they meet in, like, the middle, but then you get a scene from storyline A, and then you go to storyline B, and so it keeps going – back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to piece together the first time. I think it was the second time I watched it. Okay. I kind of figured out how it goes. But yeah, he has short-term memory, so he has the, yep. all those tattoos on himself. And uh, yeah, honestly, it's been a while since I've watched that too. So I don't remember the full plot line anymore. Right. I just remember it being epic. <laughs> yeah, I need, to, I need to watch that again too because it was like in my roommate in college, I think it was like his favorite movie. And I tried to give it a chance and I could not. I got frustrated. It's really think, hard to yeah, watch. Yeah. yeah. I probably just need to go back now that I'm more mature and, and watch it all the way through. Um, yeah. Those are, those are fun. Like, yeah, because definitely. you're giving the viewer a chance to figure out too, like what is going on. You're mm-hmm. not answering all their questions. Right. Is that, is that something that you like purposely try to do? Because even the ones where you're more clearly trying to feature a person, in, in the film, so like the Power Island one where you featured mm-hmm. Fred Tank, um, like there, do you try to implement those same things into that? I mean, I, w- I think it'd be cool to have an element of that, but it's more about uh, telling one complete slice of Fred Tank's life mm-hmm. or like another documentary subject's life. So with that one, it's a little bit more about just having a complete idea there. But yeah, I mean, I hope to in the forward, in in the forward, in the future, have attention that you can see that's mostly psychological within the person. Okay. So I mean, to in the Fred Tank piece, to any extent that I did that, it would have been, you know, I guess it would be some element of wanting progress in his younger years versus now, um, as an older man wanting the simplicity yeah. um, to any degree that he did want the former. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's pretty much, you know, decided yeah. that simplicity is what he values in life. But um, I do like showcasing that a lot. So there was also a short doc that I just finished about um, a magician. Mm-hmm. And we only had four days to make that one. And so that was a deadline imposed by the program that I went to. But if I had more time, I think I would have focused on the tension between him wanting to make a living as a magician, which involves some level of fame and notoriety, balanced by the fact that he doesn't like being noticed in public. And I thought that was a really interesting paradox because I was like, you do realize that to be a magician, you're going to have to have some level of, 
you know, recognizability that he was kind of not willing to really admit that it existed. So I think if I had more time with him, that's what I would have made it more about. But instead, it, it more talks about the video more focuses on his the love that he's come to have for his hometown, um, which is in really rural Kentucky. um, But that he's slowly over time seen the value of coming from that small town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that one too. And I can see that though, even in, like you said, you wish you could have featured more aspects of this or that, but there was like, I could, I could envision exactly what his internal struggle is with wanting to be famous, but, but not like, wanting to be recognizable and he has an act that he he can be a part of but he can also like kind of hide behind it yeah in a definitely way. and when he said he wants to make his magic shows special for his hometown it's like so there's someone who maybe they say they want to live in LA but their most important show to them is in Wachimahoogie, Kentucky yeah yeah <laughs> and that, that's like a weird dichotomy I think in that show or in that film that you made too yeah that's cool. Yeah, I definitely, there is that tension and that tension's within everybody. Yes. So it's cool to figure out what that specific tension looks like for any individual mm-hmm. person. Um, yeah. What? A, so there's that tension within everybody. What is your story with that tension? You know, leaving oh. home, coming back. Is there any details to that? Well, I don't know because... I feel like I feel like I've always wanted to explore like all those uh Spanish Spanish and Portuguese explorers mm-hmm. in like the 1400s they would have you read about in grade school like I loved reading about them and their big ships and where they would go and all those adventures and stuff and so that's kind of translated as I've gotten older to wanting to go to Tanzania and Australia and stuff like that over summers and stuff. But I don't know. I don't, it'd be really hard for me to put into words Mm -hmm. what it, what it is for me, because I think I made more peace with the fact that it's not that, that feeling of wanting to go explore an adventure and everything is not really in conflict with something else just because I've started to realize how much of my community is really made up of people who also do that Mm -hmm. um, or who also like to just be in a lot of different places. And so I have a couple of friends that are coming to visit me tomorrow actually, but they also work full-time remote. Mm -hmm. So they're also kind of travelers like me. Um, So at first I used to think that like community and travel were kind of contradictions of each other, but I think there can be a way to build community out of, living in a ton of different places all the time too. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that, yeah, there's a community of people who just swear by like, I don't want to say staying home, but they just, their world exists within the city limits. And I don't mean that mm-hmm. in a bad way, but like that's where they find the greatest sense of peace or whatever it is. And then there's other people who almost use traveling like as a way to recalibrate. Like they can come home, put their feet up. And then if it takes, if they're there too long, boom, I got to get out of here because I'm going like a little crazy. And then that's how you find your balance. And yeah. I think like I haven't figured out where I lay with that. I haven't been to a ton of different countries or anything. But for me, being home for too long, I get a little stir crazy. And then as soon as we travel, if I'm gone too long, I'm like, 
man, home is like where it's at. It's <laughs> yeah. Weird. Yeah. I, I don't know I where mean, I lay in that. No, it is really interesting because I think that a lot of people with certain narratives, like, you know, uh, settling down where you grew up like they tend to kind of think of that as oh it's sort of like a pity narrative it's kind of a sad one but I actually sometimes am envious of those people because I wish that I was more content with Mm -hmm. kind of what is sort of more I think easily achievable yeah um and like those people are happy and like wouldn't that be nice sometimes Mm -hmm. like sometimes I definitely do think think about that yeah um yeah I don't know where I was going with this anymore well So I come from a super small town. Like Traverse City is like five times bigger than the town that I grew up in. That's a guesstimation. But um, for me, it was like I'm having this realization, all the things that I loathed about that small town, like I I knew I wasn't going to remain there into adulthood. And then you get get a little older, and I called myself out. I was like, dude, you just relocated to another tiny town. Like we moved up north to Sheboygan, which is like exactly the same size as where I grew up. But because it was like me putting my flag in the ground there, it was okay. And then we relocate to Lake Ann, which is literally like a quarter of the size of the town that I grew up in. And I can go into Traverse City, which is a bigger city, but I'm like, dude, you didn't dislike small town living your whole life. You just felt like you had to experience something else. And it's funny because what I'm experiencing in a lot of ways is exactly like what it would be like if I moved back home. Okay. It's just with different people. I don't know. It's weird. It's like the sense of pioneering that you mm-hmm. still wanted to do, though. Yeah. And I feel like that's really important, right? I guess yeah. just to do the process yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'm trying. I'm still kind of thinking about your question about mm-hmm. tension in the back of my head. Yeah, I think we all have. I don't know, some type of tension. There's things that we all dislike about where our roots began, I think. Mm-hmm. But then you grow to, okay, so here, I, I just came up with this right now. But for me, if you would have asked me in high school, do you like your hometown? I would have said no. Like I was ready to roll. I didn't want any part of it, but there were good things about it. Mm-hmm. And so the good things like my family, my friends, the sense of like close knit community where you could feel like you could knock on the door of the neighbor and they would help you with something like that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. But those are things that didn't exist growing up because I never paid attention to them. It was normal for me. So now that I've left, I've relocated, I've had to meet new people, make new friends, find confidants and people that I trust to let my dog out when we go places like now those aren't things that I'm taking for granted because I've had to discover them for myself. Sure. Whereas yeah. my parents curated that experience for me when I was growing up. They're the ones that asked the neighbors for help or or whatever. So to me, it just existed. Yeah. It wasn't something I saw. Definitely. I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, isn't that the frustrating thing about, I think, humans in general? Like you almost have to experience what you don't mm-hmm. like to like the things you always liked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Like, why couldn't we just like the things we liked from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's definitely, yeah, I've, I've found myself, yeah, having to go experience the opposite before the norm kind mm-hmm. of makes sense to me in its own way, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it is, it is weird because the things we like are invisible sometimes. Like, yeah. Like, we like them. 
but you only realize you like them when they're not there. Definitely. Yeah. I remember two years ago when I was really, really struggling after I'd realized that I wasn't going to be using my college degree, which was in math for anything at all. And I was reading all of those kind of cliche blog posts and YouTube videos Mm -hmm. about how to find your passion. And they would always give you the advice of it's something that you already do naturally. And I remember thinking that was the most frustrating thing ever because it was like, how are you supposed to act on that advice at all? And Mm -hmm. it's true for sure, but it's just like, it can be so frustrating because it is sort of what you do mm-hmm. naturally, those things that you like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really strange to try to figure out the process of discovering that stuff, especially if you're trained, you know, like you said, you weren't going to use your degree and that was disappointing in some ways. Like you were trying to find a more long-term happiness, obviously, by yeah. by not going into that field because you may have been miserable there, but it's still a frustrating process to figure out where you should be landing like that in itself is like, sometimes I just want to throw in the towel and just be like, whatever I can, I guess I can right. put up with this job for 30 years, you know? Dang. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, like some days. It can just, you ever actually believe that though? No, I mean, that, not for long. Yeah. No. I feel like that's the thing. It's like people who are doing creative things, they're just not able to bullshit themselves right, as right. much. Yeah. Cause yeah, like I, I could never actually believe that for one right. second, probably for you and definitely for me. Yeah. I think it's more something that, all right. So for me, no, I don't believe that. But I think a lot of people do. Like, yeah. I think there are a ton of people who are miserable in their current existence within their career or whatever it is. And they, they do believe that. They always are saying, yeah, but this weekend, hey, two days, do whatever I want. So they're like living for that weekend mm-hmm. or they're like, you know, I do get two weeks vaca- paid vacation a year, which is like, that's nothing. Yeah. But that's what... That's what they exist within is like the next day off where they can actually do something they enjoy or retirement. And that's, yeah, that's really frustrating that there's, and sad that there's a lot of people that are within that existence. There's a place for people to fill their roles, put in their time, provide for their family. But I also don't think it should come at the expense of being miserable. Right. Yeah. I mean, I agree. You were there, right? With your, I mean, did you spend some time in your field? No, you didn't. Not really. Uh, well, the thing that I didn't realize, which is so funny looking back at it now, but in college I got uh, three different internships that were STEM or math focused, and so I was working your classic, you know, nine to five, eight to six type mm-hmm. of situation in my field, and I did hate it just as much as I did once I got out of graduation and could kind of imagine myself in those desk jobs too. But I just, I isolated it somehow from the real world. Like I isolated those internship experiences from, oh, but that's not what I'm, that's not going to be my reality Mm -hmm. for the next whatever, I don't know, 50 years or something like that. So I just had this weird compartmentalization where I actually technically did work those jobs, Mm -hmm. but it just never occurred to me that I hated them and I should probably stop. Oh, okay. I thought so. you were, yeah, I thought you were saying like you knew there would be a light at the end of the tunnel, like of I'm going to end up doing my own thing eventually. But no. it was, you were actually just like numb to it? I actually was just like, oh, I hate this, I hate this biology research job where all I do is program all day, but I'm still going to graduate and try and 
get the state Mm -hmm. scientist job after. I don't know. It was just weird. I just Mm -hmm. didn't think about how those things are totally in conflict with one another. Um, I think it's mostly just like school mind Mm -hmm. when you're in school. Like everything is just different. You just think about the world so differently. Yeah. I think. I did. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you definitely do. Like for me, so I only got a four-year degree. It was... It took me six years, but anyways, besides the point. Anyways. <laughs> um, but then I saw my wife who who went. So her and I have always had this difference where I took a while to figure out what I wanted to do. I still was unsure. I still jumped from project to project. Great idea to great idea, which is actually mediocre idea to mediocre idea. And she was just always so focused. Like she knew her senior year of high school, I want to be a physical therapist. Okay. And then she went seven years through school, became a physical therapist. She's still a physical therapist. And I was always, like, a part of me just always admired that. Like, that's that focus that I was like, man, there's just such an intense focus here because she has no doubt, like, about where she's supposed to be. And then luckily, like, because she loves me and respects me, she's helped validate, like, my strange inability to just settle on one thing. And I think it's okay, okay to be either one of those things. I mean, what is she said to As long as you're happy. You? And she just, she gets that I'm like feeling my way through where I want to be, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And that, that to me is really important because I think my heart would break like the day that she's, so Abby, don't break my heart. But the day, <laughs> the day that she would be like, dude, I think we got to turn your studio into that extra bedroom oh, that we said it would be. And okay. you got to like, you know. Just go to work, please. Which I do. Like, I work and this is my side thing. But Mm -hmm. I would be heartbroken if she was like, you're spending too much time and too much money on this side project. Like, just go go work, please. And let's live a regular life or whatever. But for her, she seems to be, you know, very happy with that single track focus. And some people are like that. I just, I'm not. And I'm kind of envious of it sometimes. Like, don't you think a part of you, do you ever just wish... It's hard it's hard to wish it, but do you ever just wish that you had used your degree and that you were happy in that field? Well, I wish I was more happy with routine. Okay. Um, because I think that as um as I'm setting out on this freelance path, uh it has a lot of emotional ups and downs. Um, that I'm working on kind of becoming more consistent and regular with or just better at dealing with when things go south, not feeling like it's the end of the world. Um, But at the same time, I can't picture myself doing a job where the stakes weren't as high. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think I wish I just didn't have the like temperament or programming almost to kind of like the volatility of things. Um, Yeah, so I guess in a in a roundabout way, I'm saying yes to your question. (laughs) But yeah, it's just in general, just I like the cycles. I like the ups and downs, even though also sometimes when you are in the downs, it can be really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that seems to match up with your uh, desire to travel because, I mean, that's what traveling is. Traveling is different landscapes. Traveling is a little bit of uncertainty. Like nobody hopes that their flight gets canceled, but there's always that uncertainty of like, yeah, I'm heading to the Bahamas. Like, are they actually going to be as dope as what I thought they were in the pictures? You mm-hmm. know, and that's like, I think what, what traveling is, is there's always that little bit of mystery. It's yeah. probably like that with the day to day. It's like, man, I hope that this shot comes out like how I envision it. Yeah. But I don't know. 
It's like, I'm not going to know until I do it. I mean, the thing about having no floor, like when you're doing your own thing, there's no floor, right? So you could go to zero, you could bankrupt yourself. It could just go terribly, but there's also no ceiling. So you're kind of like, I don't know what could happen after I post this video. Like it could be awesome. Like somebody amazing could see this or like somebody might want to collaborate with me that I really respect or something. So I think that's the coolest part is you're Mm -hmm. like, whoa, like, I don't know. There's could, anything could happen, Mm -hmm. um, but also nothing could happen. So it's like the other side of things. Oh, that that is such a good way to put it. I've never thought of like entrepreneurship like that, but isn't that what everybody craves? Like is the autonomy, the ability to have complete control over your future. And that could mean crashing and burning, or it could mean reaching a level that your nine to five never would have allowed you to reach. Right, exactly. Because you'll have to stay within like this bandwidth that only goes a certain amount to the left and to the right. But like you just take off those like lanes and mm-hmm. you just kind of see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. So there's, what was it? There's a floor, but there's no. There's, well, with entrepreneurship, there's no floor, but there's also no ceiling. Okay. So, so you, you don't always... get security. Like you could go to zero or you could go to negative, but you could also, you can't, you don't max out at plus 10. You could get to like a hundred or a thousand or a million mm-hmm. or a billion or whatever, not meaning money, just like levels, whatever yeah. those are. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Yeah. That make yeah. I really, really, really yeah. like that. And I think like a big part for me, because I've always been interested in business because my mom is a businesswoman, is seeing uh, if you're an artist, seeing yourself as an entrepreneur, seeing yourself as a business person is super important. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought about those two things, art and business, as mm-hmm. like the same kind of thing. Um, or just, I don't know, like essential as a, like as a pair. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's super important. Yeah, that I think that, that it takes a lot of people some time to figure that out. And there's certain types of art that are perfectly uh, fine just to do in the evenings after you get home from work. Like there, that's valid too, and that can provide people a lot of fulfillment. But there's other times where people want to be taken seriously, but they don't know how to approach their project in order to be taken seriously. Yeah. Or they're not taking themselves seriously enough. Definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, video, photo, a lot of the things like that are really, really well defined, all things considered. Like once you get into the creative world, Mm -hmm. I respect like performance artists a lot and stuff like that where like there really is no model. So in a lot of ways there, they have to be so much more creative than I have to be Hmm. um, as far as thinking about their trajectory or what they want to say with their art or how they're going to get in front of people or how they're going to be able to make their next piece. Um, Yeah. So I thought there's a documentary on Marina Abramovich, I think is how you say her name, but she's this ridiculous performance artist. And yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked into a lot of her stuff from the business side of things. I just think it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. The project she, she does. Yeah. And yeah, they're wild. So performance artists, like what kind of performances? So like she did an installation at the MoMA where she just sat in a chair draped in all red for like a week straight. And she would wake up, go to the bathroom, sit in this chair for eight hours. You could get in line and stare at her. 
<laughs> for however long you wanted and then leave. Okay. And people would just break down crying in front of her. Or, I don't know, people would just do insane things. Like one woman, I think, like stripped down to like the nude or something because mm-hmm. she was trying to get attention. But it was really interesting on how that just kind of makes a larger comment on just everyone kind of trying to get attention, mm-hmm. you know? So, or like another thing she did was she broke up with her boyfriend who was also a performance artist and they started in the middle of the Great Wall of China and they both just walked to the opposite ends. Oh, as like a display of as their... A, that was kind of like the end of their relationship. Whoa. It's just really weird stuff. And I got into this because my cousin went to art school. So mm-hmm. she knows a lot of the obscure kind of non-mainstream artists. Although now that she has a Netflix documentary, she, mm-hmm. I'm sure she's much more in, in the spotlight. But... um yeah, just crazy things like that. Those people are also somehow funding their art mm-hmm. or, you know, getting resources in another way. So, and that stuff, man, I don't know how she's doing that, but yeah, <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, the one thing that's always fascinating about people like that that are so visible now through their, I'll call them antics, you know, whatever it is yeah. for sitting in a chair for Definitely. a week. Um, but then it leaves so much space for people to critique or try to get to the bottom of, you know, are her intentions actually pure or is she just trying to get attention? And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it's probably like a combination of yeah, everything, but I think so. you're talking about it. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> like, that's the whole point, I think, of a lot of those things. Yeah, and if the point of art is to challenge your point of view, I mean, she's definitely doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, I think she's an artist mm-hmm. for sure. yeah. I get I get that way a lot. So I'm a huge basketball fan, okay. and I just talked to my brother earlier today for like 45 minutes about uh, basketball, like the NBA. And I love to try to get in the players' heads and try to figure out like why they're playing the way that they are, why they decided to switch teams, okay. why they tweeted what they tweeted, why they hate that reporter that asked them this question. It's so fun to just try to figure out. Like, what kind of person they are okay. and you only have so much to go off of because you're never going to sit down with them for a couple hours. Yeah. And it's like, I have to remind myself the most annoying basketball player, the one that you dislike the most, you're still only basing it off so much. And if right. you came on the podcast, you'd be pretty stoked to actually, you know, get to know him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like Kevin Durant and how I just, I don't, like the the things he's done with his career. Okay. And I'm just like, yeah, but he's still just a regular dude. He's just seven feet tall and plays basketball. And he yeah. can do what he wants. He's just like me. He can make his own decisions. But it's weird how we try to figure out what's going on in everybody else's head Definitely. sometimes. I mean, well, and that's – I do that with actors also, weirdly mm-hmm. enough. Like I watch a lot of interviews of – actors or I'll just get on a like an Emma Watson binge or something and I'll just like try and find every interview by Emma Watson and just try and see if I can understand her more (laughs) so I kind of have that version of that but I also think it's interesting how when you turn that over to like social media and going back Mm -hmm. to what we were talking about earlier I mean everybody's trying to do that for themselves now and so it's just kind of crazy like thinking about I don't know. I I don't want to go too far away from who I am in Mm -hmm. real life on social media. So I feel like the only solution to that is like you have to make your personal, your public persona as close as you can to who you actually are. But that's so hard. It is. Yeah. But I feel like that's the only kind of way out or way through. Mm -hmm. Not really out because you're still in it. You're still posting. But yeah, that's definitely something that I think about a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Like you want to be genuine 
with what you're presenting, and especially if you have a large contingency of people that you hang out with a lot. And if they see what you're posting on Instagram and then they know you in person, <laughs> they can totally just be like, dude, you're not the same person as what you're saying that you are. Yeah. But then it's also, it's like, people are curating all the, all the best things from their life usually, or all the, yeah. all the, you know, someone may have not left their house for a year, but then as soon as they go to in and out, they're like posting about <laughs> it and making everybody jealous that they're at in and out. But at the same time, it's also like, yeah, but are we receptive as a society to when they're sharing their deepest pains with us? I yeah. don't think that we are. Like we say <laughs> that we are, but why is nobody just posting when they're breaking down crying in a manic episode or something. It's because we're not going to respond to that appropriately either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is, I feel like it's only if it's, it just goes to the extremes, right? It's like, you might comment on it if it's one of the worst breakdowns you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But if it was just, you had a shitty day at work, yeah. like no one's probably going right. to care, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, if someone posts about like a death in the family, they're usually going to get some support yeah. like about that, like yeah. on Facebook. And that's a good way to update people on like what's happened in your life. But yeah, nobody cares about the run of the mill issue that you're having. Like your boss yelled at you or, right. you know, you had to go chase your dog because they got out. Like people don't care about that, but it matters to you right. in the moment. I don't know. It's weird. We don't value that stuff, but we want people to feel bad for us when stuff like that happens to us sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I do. Only if it's happening to me. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah like, but you're not going to feel bad for somebody else right. usually. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's so hard. I mean, because that's honestly, in a roundabout way, the kind of question I've been asking about the doc work I do lately is like, I want to make people care. Like, I want to make people watch a video from the beginning to the end. But if I'm profiling, you know, still an interesting person, but just a person going through life just like the rest of us, like they're not Kevin Durant or they're mm -hmm. not Emma Watson, like how do you make that everydayness interesting to somebody? I mean, that's kind of the fundamental question that you go back to uh, if you're making an Instagram post or if you're making a short doc or something. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe it can be done, but it's a really hard problem in like a super saturated world yeah. that we're in right now. But, like, that's what I want to do. I think mm -hmm. that's cool. That's a good challenge. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, there's so much space for that. Like, that's exactly what I've tried to do with this podcast is when people ask me, I still don't know how to answer people when they ask, like, what is it about? Because I can say, like, my elevator pitch has been I facilitate beneficial conversation. Well, sometimes that might mean, like, there's someone who is struggling with grief or depression and I brought someone on who has, you know, tried to push through some of those same struggles. Mm -hmm. So then that's, like, a very – tangible thing that I'm helping them with. But then there's also like you and I did not lay out a plan for this conversation really at all. Yeah. And no. <laughs> like, so how am I, how am I going to explain to somebody why this conversation is going to be beneficial? I don't know, but I know it will be if they listen to it. So yeah. it's like weird. You can't define, define everything and you can't define what all your films are going to elicit from somebody. Just like I can't define what my episodes might elicit from somebody. Yeah. One of my favorite photographers, Olivia B., who got discovered, I think when she was like 14 for a Converse um, print ad or something, uh, she once said that like finding your voice isn't some convoluted process. It's just take pictures of what you love mm -hmm. and your voice emerges from that. Like okay. it's not, you can't, if you're in the process of, of speaking, 
you can't at the same time be summarizing what your voice is to somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have to do a certain amount of like synthesis before you can even really begin to communicate what you're saying Mm -hmm. to other people. So sometimes when people try and ask what the point of your podcast is, it's kind of like, well, I don't know, like listen to it. Yes, that's exactly it. Like yeah. do the work, yeah. yeah. So, and then also just like, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, like depending on how long you and I do both of our like respective art, it's just like you, you might be looking at like 1% of what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard mm-hmm. to say for sure what the point of everything is. Yeah, because it, it's, it's art that's created by a unique individual. So you and I are, are both unique individuals. There's nobody else like us. But then also all the people that are consuming the content are all unique individuals. Exactly. They all have different experiences. <laughs> so what they're going to take away is going to be different just from the simple fact that no one is the same as another person. Yeah. It's exciting, though, to, to you're like providing the same content, but it it turns into a variety of content simply because there's so many different people that are taking it in. You're talking about once people listen to your work mm-hmm. or watch your work, then it yeah. becomes all of these different yeah. endpoints. Yeah, because it means something different to yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. And I think, cool. yeah, it's it's very similar. So when we showed your film at one of our last uh, creative and entrepreneur collective meetings, nice, I think everybody nice. kind of had a different – a different take on it or it elicited something different for everybody or everybody had a, a different favorite part mm, of mm-hmm. it. And so that's what, I think that's, what's cool is that what you like about it might never match up with what somebody else likes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be super boring anyway. So right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it would just be, we'd all have the same set of eyes, you know, taking in this, this project and it wouldn't be nearly as fulfilling for the person making the the project or the yeah. film, the podcast, whatever. Definitely. Yeah. So you and I had talked before over coffee about like personal development and stuff yes. like that. So I want to talk about that a little bit because I g- can just go on and on about <laughs> stuff like that. What is What are you currently working on or what is your take on personal development? Um, I'm really trying to go less hard on myself. Okay. <laughs> Basically all of the – I. I got um, advice from a video freelancer to do this thing called the Mountain Workshop, and it's a four-day video and photo workshop. You can be in the video or the photo track, and you touch down on Tuesday in a city, and it's different every year. Um, And there's been someone on the ground for a couple weeks prior looking up kind of story leads for you. And so you touch down Tuesday, you draw your subject Um, your subject's name and contact info out of a hat, and then you have four days to make either a photojournalism story about them or a video, like a short Mm -hmm. doc about them, and then you have to turn it in by Sunday at 3.30. So um, I just came from that, and it was really, really awesome. And right when I got there, I instantly showed people, like, my board and review piece. I was like, can you give me, like, some notes? Like, I know it's, like, kind of interesting, but like, I want it to be like so much more and just all this stuff. And then two of them got back to me and they were like, Mia, this is good. Like Mm -hmm. stop being so hard on yourself basically. So that was huge for me. I didn't know what to do with that information. Mm -hmm. I still don't really know. I just know it's a thing I should focus on Mm -hmm. more. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I've, I like, I always have that balance between 
it's it's a hard balance. It's a struggle between validating your own work, but then also like that self critique, so that you can seek that you know continual uh, improvement. But it but there's that space in there where you just have to stop critiquing yourself. Like yeah. if you spend too much time, then it becomes detrimental. It's no longer about improvement. It's just about being like picky. Yeah. Or like loving to criticize yourself mm-hmm. in some weird way mm-hmm. that I don't really know. I don't know. I probably need more therapy for it or something. <laughs> but like I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like part of me likes to criticize myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what that is. But it it feels more comfortable to me to like pick apart mm-hmm myself I think in a lot of circumstances than to just pat myself on the back and like keep moving all right okay so we'll break that down we'll do a little therapy right oh, now man. okay so <laughs> I'm not a therapist disclaimer <laughs> but Dax Shepard always does this on his podcast oh he'll be okay like, you know, I, he'll be like I'm gonna diagnose is that armchair expert yeah okay yeah. yes I love that show because I I found him through when he did that interview with Yuval Harari and I love Yuval Harari's work okay. so I was just trying to like listen to every podcast mm-hmm. he made basically so yeah. That's cool. Anyway, keep yeah. going. <laughs> well, yeah. So he's like, all right, well, let me put my psychologist hat on. But I wonder if for you, because this is also what I do to myself, by critiquing your work from your own perspective, it's also a defense mechanism against the inevitable critiques of others. Mm. So you like when my wife cr- criticizes something, even if it's in love, like where she's telling me her opinion on something and I might have even asked for that opinion like I wanted to I say I wanted to know what her thoughts were but I didn't really (laughs) so to me I'm always like okay you got to consider all the things that she might say so that when she you know criticizes you your response can be yeah I know I already thought of that and it's like dude you're that's not the point of what that interaction is supposed to be so I always use self-critique almost as a defense so if that comment rolls across or that bad review or someone's like you know taylor's sound quality sucked for that episode i can respond and be like ah yeah dude i know we recorded it on a windy deck because we got locked out of the house or whatever you know like yeah that's never happened but <laughs> you know stuff like that is it a defense yeah i think that's probably true i mean i was on um i was on a film set last night and there was my friend and I were talking about this Asian actor that we had brought in and we were like wow he's making like a lot of racist jokes Mm -hmm. and like mostly about his race and we just realized like he must do that because he wants to get out ahead Mm -hmm. of the criticism that he faces and that must help him in some way Mm -hmm. because he's like purposefully kind of riding himself Mm -hmm which we both thought was weird. <laughs> we were right. like, why are you doing, like no one's making racist jokes, but like you are about yourself. And it, it was very obvious mm-hmm. in that context. I think that's probably true. It's definitely that perfectionist mm-hmm. like need inside of me. Like, okay, if I can like cover my ass kind mm-hmm. of, then I'm still sort of getting like a hundred out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. Cause like I, I even know my imperfections. Yeah. So like they're covered. So I'm yep. good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I do think that that, that's what it is. And I, it's funny the things that I discover on this podcast by talking to other people. Like I've never heard this, the floor thing, the ceiling thing oh, before, okay. like in regards to entrepreneurship. And also I just like worked this whole self-criticism thing out with sure. myself too, yeah. by talking to you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like a defense thing, I think. And 
I think people need to stop stop doing that. Like you always want to check yourself and make sure that you're doing things correctly and not getting too big of an ego or whatever. But when you're just starting out in your project or your field or your career or as a parent or it's a new marriage, or new relationship, whatever it is, I think you have to tend to – you're going to be more successful if you err on the side of like being gentle and, and giving yourself credit when credit is due rather than searching for those flaws. I think that's more important when you're first starting out probably. Oh, definitely. I mean it's probably more important the whole way through, right? Like I think – I think, what was it? Now I'm going to have to think of this quote because I don't want to say it wrong. Um, I say wrong quotes and statistics okay. all the time. So. <laughs> Do you have a fact? <laughs> no, I, people, I just tell people not to take it, you know, yeah. you know, word for word. I think it was something like, where, uh, where would you, you know, you're not a piano. Let's say you want to be like, a famous concert pianist and like you're not a maestro now and then the, you ask yourself the question like well what am I gonna really accomplish if I just start teaching myself like scales tomorrow mm-hmm. and then the answer to that is like farther than if you just kept not playing today mm-hmm. like you always want to embrace the mindset that's gonna allow you to keep going rather than the one that's anything that stops you from actually working towards something mm-hmm. you want is just unhelpful. It's kind of like I had a roommate in San Francisco who believed, because as you can tell, I obviously love life talks. And so she was like, we, we somehow got into the conversation of, do you think people are generally good or generally bad? And she said generally bad, and I said generally good. And to me, the reason why I think that is not because I think or know that it's true, but rather that like my life just, I feel better if I believe that. Hmm. I don't really know if it's true and there's also no way to prove it, but I think that it makes me want to do more and see more and like talk to more people. So I'm just going to believe it because it helps me be better. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I guess it's kind of selfish, but it ends in like a selfless like outcome, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would tend to agree with that because I think, like I can see why some people think we're bad and we learn to be good, but um, to me, I would just yeah rather assume that people are good, and then if they're bad, we can just point that to like a flaw as opposed to we are just flawed individuals, and right. every time we do something good, it's an incredible amount of work that is going against every instinct we have. Like I don't yeah. I don't subscribe to that. I think yeah I think we're good. I know we are. You and I. Yeah. All right. But, we got it covered. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question to ask. I think I'm with you on that one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just think it doesn't really matter what's, I don't know. And tr- like the definition of truth is like a whole other hour. But I mean, I think just at a certain point, truth becomes less important than just like what's going to, what's going to help us like come together more. Mm-hmm. Like what's going to help you be a better version of yourself or like more of yourself or to be more authentic or something like that. Like at a certain point, I just kind of, that's where I throw the objectivity out out the window Mm -hmm. because it just matters more to be like better than you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a process, right? Like you treat it as a process. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's again, something that I've been working on. Mm -hmm. So it's more, 
I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, everything yeah. had an end state, like, especially through school. I mean, everything has an end of semester, an end of year, an end of internship, everything up through 21 or 22. It just always had an end. And then you get out past that and it just doesn't end. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to realize that more things start and stop all the time and there's no definition and things blend into each other and you just kind of have to by default get more comfortable with mm-hmm. it. That's really, really true. I've I've realized that more too the older I get. And it's, I think it's important and it's also kind of freeing to understand or be put in a position finally where there isn't necessarily an end. Like maybe the only end is death, like now, you know, yeah. in life. Because if you can be in a spot where you're seeking continual improvement, there isn't going to be an end. Right. And I've always like, not always, but the last five, ten years have tried to adopt that where I'm like, no, I want, you know, if I'm 29 right now, I want 39-year-old Taylor to look back at 29-year-old Taylor and be like, I would not hang out with that guy. He had a lot to work on. I don't think he's my cup of tea, you know, (laughs) and it it sounds like you're being hard on yourself. But no, I want that improvement to be so like measurable, uh, even though it can't be really. But I just want it to have been so obvious by the time I can look back on my life Mm -hmm. for it to be like, dude, you were constantly working to improve and I'm proud of you for that. Yeah. You know, you used to suck. Now you don't suck as much. Like, I don't know. It it sounds harsh, but that's like how I approach it. Yeah. I mean, you said proud of you, like proud of you. Like, do you think you actually buy that? Like, would you be proud of yourself if you could, you know, say that? Or is it something else? No, I think so. I, I am proud of myself currently in comparison to how I was, you know, five years ago. Okay. Like I'm, I'm proud of myself, but not proud in the sense like you've arrived. Call it good. Okay, Call I got gotcha. you. Yeah, not like that. Yeah. But yeah, we, it, trying to to give myself credit when I when I can and still seeking that continual improvement because like we said, there is no end right. to this in terms of personal growth yeah. and stuff like that. Like that's the one thing that you can continue throughout your entire life is yeah. that improvement. Definitely. That's why I like it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I don't know. I think the biggest thing I've worked on personal growth in the last two years, and this actually goes back to the tension thing, which I finally (laughs) answered, um, is that I've been working on accepting the reality that I'm really privileged and I'm really lucky. Mm -hmm. And the tension there is like, I, I want to do all these things in my life, but it kind of requires that I embrace the privilege that I have and some of the resources that I have that I know like a large percentage of the world doesn't Mm -hmm. have Um, just in terms of like money and family support and um, I don't know, like the acceptance even from my peer and family community of what I'm doing and stuff. So that's definitely the tension because I don't want there to be any inequality in the world, but I also like kind of recognize that by going down this path, I'm sort of taking a really, a really unconventional path Mm -hmm. that not everyone gets to do. And there's the Mm -hmm. inequality there. So yeah, I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I've been working on Mm -hmm. 
lately. Yeah, so like the guilt that might be associated with that? Yeah. Like having the ability to do the things you're doing? Yeah, just whatever the opposite of denial, acceptance. (laughs) So yeah, I guess accepting that this is, like these are the cards I've been dealt and not in the negative way that Mm -hmm. that's term is usually used, but in the positive way. Yeah, Yeah. I've been working on that. Yeah, I get that. And yeah, there sometimes are like, there is a sense of, a sense of guilt. Like I feel that about, you know, my parents, it's like, dude, I could not have had like an easier childhood really. Like (laughs) I never felt like, you know, I, I was never witnessing my parents arguing. There was never any like domestic disputes, any of those things. And I like, I never felt like I wasn't loved. And so I don't want to feel guilty for that, but that puts you way ahead of some other people. Totally. Like, I never had to fight back against that. I was always propped up and loved. So then my starting line was automatically further ahead than someone who had been abused or whose parents had been divorced or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, but w- why did your parents do that then? Like they didn't do that for you to feel guilty. Yeah. They did that so you have opportunity. And then how far you take those opportunities, like that's the part that's up to you. Yeah. It's it's hard not to feel guilty about it, but I think if you have pure intentions with what you're doing, like it's fine. Yeah. People always say, you know, everyone's running a different race, so not to compare yourself. And I don't know, for me, it's really easy to just like put that into cliche Mm -hmm. land. But I think I've seen how through getting more immersed in the film world, that's really true because a lot of my friends who worked on this indie film with me back in September, uh, we all have different career aspirations. Uh, Like a lot of them want to be in narrative film, which is like a script and like movies and kind of more what you think of as Hollywood stuff. And then there's like a minority of us that want to do doc work, nonfiction. And then within that, we all have different ideas for subjects that we personally want to cover and then different lengths of time that we want to produce content at. So just with that really specific example, I've realized, oh, that actually that cliche of like, don't look at the person next to you because you're not running the same race becomes really, really um, clear to me mm-hmm. then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we all have, I mean, it's not the same race if you didn't start in the same spot. Exactly. Nobody starts in the same position. Yeah. It seems like there's comparable situations, but there isn't. Because again, it goes yeah. back to we're all individuals and we all have our unique story. And so it's, it's always different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this was a lot of fun. I think our next <laughs> studio guest is banging around upstairs. Okay. <laughs> I got to show him uh, how to get down here. But it, where can people find you? Or is there like any last minute stuff that you want to cover? As always, you're welcome to come back and, and speak again. Yeah, sure. I mean, I hope we do. I I mean, I am Missing in Action Productions on Instagram and on my website. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. This was a lot of fun. Seriously, I felt... Oh. Sometimes I look at, back at the interview and I'm like, did I talk like 75% more <laughs> than the person? And I think that might have been the case, but it's just because I felt super comfortable with you and I think we're on similar wavelengths. Yeah, so definitely. Okay. Well, this is also like the hazard of interviewing an interviewer because yes. in my doc stuff, I'm going to let you talk yes. a lot more. Yep. So <laughs> That does that tends to happen. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I was I was baited into that, yeah, folks. Yeah. If you thought that I was talking too much, it's because she wanted me to. So there, there's the disclaimer. Blame it on the guest. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. 
good practice. Exactly. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, and thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Love you. Bye-bye.